This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. It's now time for you to sit back and prepare for insights on your walk with Christ. Let's join today's message right now. The title of my message today is The Whisper Test. The Whisper Test. Today we're going to look about how Elijah handles the transition or the change in his story. Because God now has led him by this point in 1 Kings chapter 19. After he had the mountaintop experience where the fire fell and then the rain came and then he ran for his life and then God ministered to him, now God leads him to the mountain of God, Sinai, and as he's going there, God takes him to a cave. And in that cave, that's the setting. I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes all of us are in a cave. We're hiding out and there's a whole bunch of other things going on in the rest of the world and we're kind of hidden in a cave. Well, that's where God led Elijah and as he led him into that space where there's a cave, I want you to see it in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse eight. It says, so he got up, ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days, 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And there he came to a cave and where he spent the night, but the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? This is a great moment because he, here he is, he's in a cave, and God asks him a question, and it's a diagnostic question. It's a question where you're supposed to look at yourself. Here he is in a cave. Everybody is in a cave in one way or another. We have a future outside, something ahead of it, something around the corner, and we need to know that as we're in the cave, God's asking us to look at ourselves. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He's asking a question. And as he asks that question, in a sense he's asking, why are you here? What did you do to get here? What are the things that led up to this? What is the backstory to why you're in the cave? And I want you to know that before you can go anywhere, you have to know where you are first. If I were to go to a mall, and uh, you know we got so many malls around in Minnesota because people stay inside in the dead of winter, right? And you go into a mall, and you know there's a store that you wanna go to, but it's a massive mall. You go up to the mall directory, and you look at where that store is, but what's the next thing that you have to do? You look for the you are here spot, right? It's either an arrow, an X, or something, or a dot on the map, and you find out where you are. You have to know where you are in order to get somewhere. If you just wanna get there, but you're going the other direction, it's not helping you any. In a sense, what God is doing with Elijah is he's saying, listen, I want you to think about where you're at. Church, I want you to think about the condition of your faith right now. Where are you? Take a little rest area stop on the highway. Pull over and think about where is the, what is the condition of my faith? Am I confident? Am I fearful? Am I optimistic? Do I believe that God is with me? Am I worried about things in my life? Where am I at in my faith? Do I feel like God is close or far away? Have I drifted away from him? Or am I kind of living in close proximity to where God is? This is why God asked him this question. He says, where are you? And you need to evaluate the condition 
of where you're at. This is something that actually goes all the way back to Genesis. If you remember, after Adam and Eve were, uh, had sinned, they went and they hid from God. How many know you can't hide from God? But they were hiding from God. And then it says that God was walking through the garden. And as he walked through the garden, he said, where are you? He knew where they were, but he was waiting for them to respond with, I'm right here. And I think that's the, 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 a great place for us to start today's talk with, to consider where you are. Doesn't mean it's good or bad, it doesn't matter. It matters where you are and how you got here. In a sense, I want you to name your cave. Name your cave. What is that place that you're starting off with? Where are you going from here starts with where you are right now. Verse 10. Elijah answers the question. He says this. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. What he essentially says is, I'm in this place and it's your fault. This is a really cool moment because you'll see it actually repeated throughout scripture. God's not put off with our anger. God's not put off with our frustration. In fact, he allows us to vent how we feel and what we're thinking about. Why am I in this position? What? Why does everybody else have money and I don't have money? Why did they get the girl and I didn't get the girl? Why is it that they have kids and I don't have kids? In a sense, what's happening is they're doing the confession to God. Biblical confession is speaking the same thing to God as what he already sees. He already knows all that stuff, but as long as it's like bottled up inside of us, it has this weird capacity to kind of make us darker and, and worse. It grows and grows and grows inside. And until we connect with our creator, it becomes a negative thing inside of us. We become cynical. People, in fact, people that don't know how to forgive, for example, they don't learn to forgive and they keep it in their heart. How many know they become bitter people? Or they hurt others. Or they hurt themselves. But until they deal with what's on the inside, they're in trouble. So biblical confession is the homo logeo of God, to speak to God what he already sees. And Elijah speaks to God. He says, this is where I'm at. So in a very real sense today, you can say to God, God, this is where I'm at. I went out and I did something I shouldn't have done last night. Because it's not helpful to hide it, right? And when you confess, Lord, I'm frustrated because I've been in a dry season for a long time. I'm confused because I don't know how to help my husband or my wife. I don't know what to do with my kids. And to be honest, I'm frustrated. And the pastor doesn't answer my questions on Sunday morning. <laughs> Keep it real, right? Sometimes we're singing somebody else's song and their words on the screen. And God's more interested in you singing what's inside your heart. And then it becomes like an umbilical cord, like a baby inside a mother. And the umbilical cord is there, and it connects, and it takes all the junk out, and it replaces it with nutrients. And when you stay connected to God, and you learn to confess, and you speak to God what's already going on in the inside, 
then he takes the crud out of your heart and he replaces it with true, unadulterated love. Come on, somebody. He fills your heart with what should be there in the first place. Some of you are like so bottled up inside that you're ready to explode. And I'm just saying this, before you explode, confess. Just tell God where you're at. He won't turn you away for it. So when you hit the place of feeling like you're alone, what do you do? He says, I am alone. What does your faith tell you to do? You know, when we're alone, it's a pretty tough place to be. People do stupid things when we're alone. We feel alone and we feel overlooked or we feel like somebody doesn't care about us, we're in trouble. This generation has a new dynamic to that. We could be feeling like we're doing really good and then all we gotta do is open up our phone and they're on Snapchat or Instagram or something. There we see a picture of a group of people that are our friends and they're having fun with other people than us and we weren't invited to the party. And what do we feel at that moment? Alone, left out. And then we're mad. So when we're feeling alone, we're gonna tell somebody else about how mad we are about the people that left us out. Now all of a sudden we move into gossip, we move into jealousy, we're overwhelmed and we start hurting. And here's what I'm saying, this is where Elijah is at, he's alone. And our faith has to help us navigate the moments when we're alone. And Elijah does this, and God leads him through a process so he can navigate it. Some people, they dig in and they get more prideful and they're convinced that they are better than other people. Others give up because their confidence comes from knowing that other people agree with them. Friends, dreams die when we're empty and alone. The truth, the truth here, Elijah really did feel alone. He's not preparing for anything new in the future and he's not confident and he tells God that. Go on to verse 11. Verse 11 says, go out, God says, and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, now he didn't leave the, the, out to the edge of the cave yet, but he's standing there. The Lord passed by, and the mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. This is an amazing moment because here the guy that saw fire come down from heaven and God was in that fire on Mount Carmel, now a fire is outside the cave and God wasn't in it. And he's used to going to these other things, seeing the outward, but today we're gonna see that it isn't about the signs and wonders and the big stuff or what's always happened. It's about a whole nother thing. The, I'm gonna give you three keys that Elijah kinda learned that we can learn in our story. The first one is this. Learn to navigate change God's way. Your human nature wants to go this way, but we have gotta learn to submit and follow God's way. And look for the confirmation, is the Lord in it? The Lord was not in the wind. The Lord was not in the earthquake. The Lord was not in the fire. So essentially, the commentator inspired word of God is saying here, look it, there's three things that were options 
for Elijah, and none of them had God in it. We all have options. And sometimes we go, go to the things that make us feel the best. We follow the sensory, the quick, the thing that makes me feel good now. But that's a dangerous pathway to go on. That's why the commentary at the end of Judges, which is this book telling about the decline of Israel and its morality and following God, at the very end of it, it says, and each one did what was right in their own eyes. They followed their own appetite. They were no longer following God's voice. They began to follow the sensory, the thing that was the, the, the easiest and the most pleasing to their soul. Some of us are content to follow the big and the noisy events of life and think God is speaking when it isn't him in the, at all. You might be offered a huge salary and a new job or you're bored with the season of life you're in and there's a new opportunity or maybe you're bored with your marriage and maybe there's somebody else that you work with that you think is better. Now there's opportunity outside the door but God might not be in that. You hear what I'm saying? How long is your attention span with God? Do you have patience? Some can't wait and they jump and they take the hasty route and they create more disasters. An opportunity does not equal God's direction. Don't compare your stories to others and reacting to the earth, wind, and fire around you because impatience can destroy our ability to hear the real guidance of the Lord, but the Lord was not in it. And by the way, when you're in an uncertain season, you're feeling antsy, or maybe you're dissatisfied with where you are. For those of you that are single young adults, and you're watching people get hooked up and married around you, and you're like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> Keeping it real again? The worst thing for you to do is to settle for something that's not a God thing for you. Wait for it. Wait for it. Love the people where you are, but wait for it. Amen? Wait. Just wait. And while you're doing that, make sure you're planted in the house of God because God does speak in the house. Psalm 92 but the godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon, for they are transplanted to the Lord's own house. They flourish in the courts of our God. If God has planted you in the church, God has planted you here at Emmanuel, you might be tempted in your uncertainty to pull away from the very place where you will hear God. Stay planted. See, Elijah needed to wait for it. He didn't leave the cave for any of the big stuff because before he had saw the miracles in his story, before he had seen the signs and wonders, before his assignments were out there to go and to speak to a nation, Elijah heard something earlier in his story. He had heard a whisper from God. And the whisper was quiet and personal, but it was a direct message to Elijah that others could not hear. And the temptation for us is to forget our own moments in our story when God did speak to us. And the noise of life can dull our hearing and age can have a way of creating amnesia of how we made it this far. He says there in the text, a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not 
in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. The second thing that we can learn from Elijah in this story is to wait for and embrace the whisper. This is where I'm gonna start talking about the whisper. But the second half of verse 12, look at it, it says, after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle what? Just even saying it is kind of cool. Whisper. A gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave and a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Does that sound interesting? Same question as before, right? He heard the whisper. He's in his cave. All this stuff is going on. He stays put. He stays planted in the house. But then when he hears God, he steps out. He responds. And now he's in a different perspective, in a different place. He knows he's not alone because he's in a conversation with God. And now God asks him a second time, what are you doing here? Now, how many know there's a big difference from back in the cave to a few feet away to the edge, to the mouth of the cave? There was a massive change going on in his story because when God enters your story, everything changes. And now he answers the question identically, but God is not going to leave him where he was. He's going to take Elijah, God is, to a new place. And you're going to discover what that place is, but it all starts with a whisper. The whisper is what Elijah had heard in that first place. And he didn't move until he heard it again. You got to fight to know the whisper. What am I talking about? It's that voice, that moment. Do you remember when you surrendered to Jesus? Do you remember when there was nothing you could do but spend time with him? I remember when I went through my experience between my junior year and senior year of high school and the bus broke down on this trip to Cedar Point and God, got a, God arrested me like Saul on the road to Damascus and I knew it was me and Jesus and I was repenting and I was changing and I remember I came home and I would go into my room and, and I would close the door and I would pull out my Walkman tape player and if you don't know what those are, you can Google it. I walked... <laughs> I pulled out the Walkman tape player and, and I put on this worship and it was, uh, I exalt thee and it was old wor church worship stuff and I remember getting on my knees and tears running down my face and it was the most intimate connection I could ever have with God. It was beautiful. And I gotta tell you, that is the sweetest place in all the earth because when you're there, you're not controlled by worry. He's got this. When you're there, you're not controlled by what other people think of you because you, you are his child. You are his daughter. You are his son. That is the sweet place. And then he whispers to your soul and you know who you are. Friends, when you give your life to Jesus, it's a beautiful thing, but it it's a journey, and it's a struggle, and it's a fight to retain the hearing and staying close to that whisper. 
This is how it went for me because I went fast forward. I graduated from high school. I go a couple years of business college and then I moved to Minnesota. And then I'm thinking, Lord, I am going to do anything you want, wherever you want. It's me and you, Jesus. Bachelor to the rapture. And then God sends Jody. He says, no, you need Jody or you'll screw it up. <laughs> so then Jody and I get married. And as we're married, it's like, now I discover and like my intimacy, my ability to hear the whisper that now I've got responsibilities and I'm working, she's working, we come home and, and we have uh, needs and I need to talk to her, she needs to talk to me and we need to stay connected. But now it's tiring at the end of a day and now I got a job and now I got Jody, but I still need to hear the whisper, right? Then we had a baby. <laughs> Drop the mic. Now, in the middle of the night, screaming. <laughs> now my wife is tired. And we're a little bit cranky and we're tired and we're trying to take care of a baby and all that that means and every little cry. And wait, should we take him to the hospital or not? That would change years later, by the way. They could have a concussion and we're like, he'll be okay. <laughs> but when it was just the one, now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, what is like consuming us? And we get to the end of the day. Have I heard the whisper? And then we added two, and then three kids, and then four kids. And we had four kids in six and a half years. Wow. <laughs> Double drop the mic. <laughs> right. And I, I have to tell you, now we're reacting, and we're running around all the time, and chasing kids, and trying to... Get them to stay put at the dinner table, and then it's, you know, as they grow up and they go to school, and we're running around and we're doing sports activities and all those kind of things. And, and now, life, and then, you know, we, at the end of a day, you know, as the kids got a little bit older, I would read to the older two, and Jody would read to the younger two, and, and we would get done at the end of a long day, close the door, look at each other, and Jody still needs communication. She still needs talk, and I'm tired. And she's tired. And have I heard the whisper? And thankfully, as kids get older and older, we're not watching them as much. We're not chasing them in malls and church. And I know some of you parents, it's scary after church. You're like, stay here. I just want to talk to somebody. But you can't have a conversation with other adults. And the time comes when they're, you're anticipating empty nest season. You're like, it's quiet at home. Thank you, Jesus. And then grandkids come, <laughs> but you get to send them back. That's what they tell me anyways. Here's what I want you to think about. Every season of life is a fight to hear the whisper. Every season. And you think it's gonna get easier because the kids move out? Now you got more money? It actually gets more hard because now your selfish needs are crying out to be met. I deserve to go on a vacation. I deserve to do this. And now there's other voices, including your own temptations, calling out. And I would just say to you this, fight to hear the whisper. Fight to hear it because it's everything. You lose that connection to God and you lose it all. And Elijah had lost it and God was going to restore his hearing. And he whispers to him. The whisper is stronger than success or failure or affirmation or optimism or pessimism. The whisper can restore anything that was lost. 
The whisper is what Elijah had heard in the first place. Before all his assignments, before miracles, before struggle, before despair, before rescue, before marriage, before career, before health issues, before money, before kids, before. And in your story, what are you doing here, Elijah? Really what God is wanting to get back is to you and him. The third thing is this, we can learn. The breath or breathing, like hearing in, will always lead to a breath out. Breathe in, breathe out. It's the same thing as hear in and hear or speak out. When God created the earth, he spoke it and it became. But the thing he did with humans was he didn't just speak it, he breathed it. He breathed himself into humanity. And when he did that, something left God and went into him. And this is the cool thing about what you'll see in scripture. Not only does God breathe his life into us, he intends for us to breathe his life to the world around us. You see and hear a prophet in the Old Testament, the prophet was a singular voice that would speak for God to a nation of people. He would hear from God and then he would bless people or he would challenge people or come alongside a leader and give them wisdom. But in the New Testament you see in Acts chapter two, God's spirit being poured out on everybody. And as his spirit is poured out on everybody, it says everyone could prophesy. It went from one singular prophet to now the breath going in everyone. And when the Spirit of God is intimate with you and you are connected to the Spirit of God, he intends for you to be his Elijah to the generation around you. There is more to this story than what is in your history. There's a new story coming around the corner. He says this, he replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive there, anoint Haziel to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nemishi, to be the king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meholah, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazia will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. This is a crazy moment because now God is saying to him, you've been in a cave. I still got some stuff up ahead for you. Some of you think that your best days are behind you, and I want to challenge you that they're not. There's still things ahead of you. It may not look like the previous story, but you are going to anoint more, make more of a difference in your future than you did before. Thanks for listening to Emmanuel Today. You can learn more about Emmanuel and enjoy other messages by checking out emmanuelcc.org.